Welcome to episode 69 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I just wanted to give some tips and go through kind of what my process is when I'm getting ready for a day of teletherapy and a session of teletherapy. I know some people have a hard time wrapping their head around it when they're thinking about well, when I do it in person, I grab my all of my materials, I make sure they're on the desk by me and things like that. So how do you do that when it's digital? So there's a couple different ways to do it. What I typically do is I go through um, my students, I look through what goals I want to work on that day, and then I try to see if I can pick like one activity that's going to hit most of those goals. But I just kind of will go through and write down what it is I want to do with my students or type it in if I'm doing it digitally. And then I start pulling up the websites for what I want to do. So if I have like a boom card on my list or I have a game on my list, I pull up a different tab for each one of them. And I just kind of have a separate browser window that has all of my tabs that I'm going to need for the day. There is a downside to that. If you're having problems with internet connection, it's not great to have a bunch of different tabs open. So another thing you can do is just open a, and I've done this before too, open a Google document and copy and paste all of the um, URL links for those activities that you want to do in there and then just put like a little description by them. And that's nice too, because then you can go back to that same document, you know, with things that you didn't get to that day for the next session and um, still have all of those in one place. So that's two different ways that I've done it before, but it is nice to have everything ready to go and have a plan. The other nice thing about being in telepractice is you can adapt. (laughs) You can, you know, if you have a student that's like, I'm really interested in this, you can look that up and you can use websites like, um, Kittle is one that I've used that's a kid safe. It's Google, but it's a kid safe Google. So that's when I use a lot. So I can, you know, look things up on the fly and not be worried about what's going to come up when I do that. Mm -hmm. So those are some kind of ideas to kind of be, have a plan, but be flexible with what you're doing in your telepractice sessions. I think that's great. I, I wish where I was right now doing telepractice uh, that we had a different platform because it doesn't always allow because we uh, at the hospital with all of the HIPAA stuff and the Mm -hmm. firewalls and everything, it's just a headache of what will open and what won't. Um, But I think you, that's a really great strategy to keep everything organized and, and flowing throughout the session. Yeah. And I've had that happen too. I've had some um, YouTube videos that I planned on showing and then the school's firewall will block mm-hmm. out the YouTube video that I was planning on showing. So have a backup too. <laughs> and exactly. So I, I, and we, I tell my grad students and they get frustrated because they will find a great website and right. you know, a great activity or game or something. And they are so excited and then we jump into the session and then the hospital won't, you know, it won't let us use it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's frustrating with the platform that we're currently using there. But yeah, keeping them organized, but also being flexible when it doesn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, on the on the podcast today, we have Katie Walters. Uh, Katie is someone that I've just gotten to know, and she's based in Knoxville, Tennessee, but has been doing telepractice for quite some time and is serving uh, schools and uh, different states out in the West. So she's sober, uh, serving all these uh, different places uh, across the country. So uh, she brings a very interesting perspective on things and some and a really interesting model that she and uh, teachers have developed. They are serving some school-age kids that are using AAC. So I'm excited about that. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Katie Walters, welcome to the podcast. Share a bit more about your background. Um, so actually, I came to the profession as a second career. I had a background in theater and mm-hmm. chose to change that to a helping profession once I got out. Um, and I was very interested in voice and speech for the stage. And that carried me into speech language pathology. And um, I was very interested in how to help. And mm-hmm. I... I was very, um, had a couple experiences where I was like, wow, you know, this is the God smack. This is the calling back. You know, I put it on the burner for a little bit after my undergrad and did the theater for a bit. And then, um, was like, if I'm meant to go back, I'll go back and had a couple of very unique experiences that led me back. So mm-hmm. went to graduate school, um, the university of Iowa, I applied once and then, um, Memphis, uh, University of Memphis, I got in, but they sent mm-hmm. University of Memphis sent me money. So I was like, I'll go there. And then I got there and I was like, whoa, I think I need to go to Iowa and gotten into Iowa again, went to Iowa. So, uh, mm-hmm. and learned so much um, at Iowa and wanted to extend that a lot more when I graduated. And funny thing is when I went into this, I was like, I want to work with adults. I want neurogenic communication disorders, right. voice and speech. At the end of it, I was like, I love working with kids who are deaf, hard of hearing or recent CI implants or wearing they're amplified and need oral rehab. So mm-hmm. it was just this very weird transition that I loved. And um, once I graduated and did my CF, I was like, how can I learn everything more about what mm-hmm. I do? Mm-hmm. So proceeded to take a series of jobs where I was in 
private practice and a school for my CF and then did PRN work at an adult rehab and then also did a skilled nursing facility and did schools and uh, happened upon an experience where I was able to work with self-contained classrooms and be on the assistive technology team. And I love that. And then I moved and my husband's job is such that we, he travels and I felt like teletherapy. It was the one that and home health I had not gone into and both scared me equally. And I had a professor <laughs> that always said, right. run toward the cannons. So I, I was like, all right, let's try this teletherapy and let's see if I can do it. And I just can't imagine not doing it at this point because mm-hmm. it's such a great service delivery model for those who can benefit from it. And we reach so many people that otherwise don't have great access to services and supports. So that's how I got into teletherapy. I love that. I love the run towards the cannons. That's how I felt um, <laughs> starting with high school students. I think they they are what scared me the most. They still scare me. I know. And I, <laughs> now I have a full caseload of them and mm. they still scare me. <laughs> I agree with you so much, Kim. Mm. And sometimes you're just like, you know, you're, you're a grown up right now. And I don't know. I don't know how to help you. So why don't you tell me what you want me to do? <laughs> right. That's a good so. strategy. I go with that too. That's funny. All, all but, the hormones are raging at that point, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But I do. I was. I was. Was not going to work in schools. I was not going to work with kids. No. And then <laughs> here I am, and I love it. So sure. So, so what was the one experience that brought you uh, from the dark side to work with children? Um, one experience. There were so many, but I think. Um, working with the littles, the little kiddos in, we did a, uh, listen and speak up program for mm-hmm. kids who are deaf, hard of hearing at Iowa over mm-hmm. the summer. And I love that. I love being a part of that preschool, working with the audiologist. Um, we worked in tandem to create a, a program for the student and did therapy. And I love that. That mm-hmm. was just like. I really like you guys. I think we can be friends now. I'm not so averse to it. And went to the schools for my CF and even working in that private practice. You just, they're just great and little and so malleable and so ready to learn and hungry to grow. And they just make so much progress. And with the right supports and the right input, man, you can just see him going gangbusters on that growth. So that's what kind of drew me. It was like, I really love working with kids. And even when I was working in the PRN with the adults, I still love working with adults. It's not like mm-hmm. I don't. It's just a different, just a different realm. Equally wonderful and enjoyable, just a whole different ball game. So, but yeah, I think working at the, in the grad, the grad school program and doing the listen and speak up program. And then my externship being at a deaf school. Um, I was like, wow, this is cool. So I think, I think I really like kids. Good. Well, you, you, you warm my heart because you talk about kids with hearing loss. So that's, yes. that's sort of my, my world. Um, and telepractice kind of goes with that, especially that early intervention Mm-hmm. Uh, stage where you're doing a lot of parent coaching and it kind of yes. works really well with telepractice. I agree. 
I, I would hope to do more of that. Um, right now, I haven't done enough of that. Uh, but that's my goal, doing more of that. So. Mm-hmm. so how, or let me rephrase, as you've gotten into telepractice, what has been um, maybe the, the pros and cons that you've experienced? And, and maybe how, how have you would sort of address some of that? Well, um, pros and cons pre-pandemic or post. <laughs> it can be just kind of mush them together. That's mush fine. them together. Sounds great. <laughs> I, the thing for me has never been the technology component. Like I always thought that's not the biggest deal. The biggest deal mm-hmm. is making sure you have that rapport and build that connection. And then everything else falls into place. Um, the biggest thing for me is to have the parent or the teacher or the principal buy in to Mm -hmm. what we are doing. And if you've got a principal that's like, yes, and you've Mm -hmm. got a school that's like, you are like, this is a service delivery model. This is one of many service delivery models that we use as speech language pathologists. Mm -hmm. This isn't like a panacea for everything. Like some kids are appropriate. Others are not. I mean, that changes your whole world as a teletherapist oftentimes that's not the case, right? You get into schools where the principal's like, what do you do? And why aren't you here? And right. um, what do you mean you're not in our building? You don't live in my, what is happening? <laughs> and then you explain, it's just another service delivery model. I provide equal mm-hmm. um, service as I would in person. Um, and then once you go down there, and really build that rapport with the teams and explain and explain and coach, it really does become less like you're the lady robot on the screen, the nosy lady robot on the screen. I always say, because some people are like, why are you asking so many questions? Why don't you just do your therapy? And they don't, there's other aspects. And um, they be, you're more of a person to them. That's just coming in streaming alive. So that's been the real challenge is just to get, the adults on board, right? Like, Hey, this is new and it's scary, but that's okay. I'll sh- we'll walk together and on the journey. And, and if technology fails, I'll help you. Like I can talk you through it and just being that calm in the storm. Um, the pandemic through everything, I mm-hmm. like nothing about our job changed, but everything about our job changed. And mm-hmm. I think that was like a double-edged sword. I mean, um, so much became, oh my gosh, this is what you do. I can't imagine you doing doing this all the day, the live long day. <laughs> right. To this is so cool that you can do this all the time and work with your kids. Um, and then just it just changed in the nature of working with kids in the home and working with kids in schools, whereas they're not at the computer with their teletherapy person, they're being seen in a home in a group and it just, it did change the nature of how services go, but the core of it is still the same. I think the organization and structure of the school district and that flux is, mm-hmm. yes, that was the, that was the chaotic piece, right? I mean, everybody's trying to figure out what to do, but it's just like um that cartoon where I can't even, over the hedge where Hedgie's like drink, drank that really super energy drink and mm-hmm. he is going so fast that everybody else is in slow motion. 
And you're just kind of walking around like in it. Like that's what it felt like. Everything kind of was going so fast. It was slow. And like, you're Mm -hmm. just going through it. Like what is happening? So that's, uh, that's a great um, pandemic uh, analogy that Mm -hmm. it was like, what is happening? (laughs) Everything's moving so slow and so fast at the same time. (laughs) Yes. And man, it just threw upended everything. And um, as it did for everybody across the world, but I think it changed the way people see education. And I think people became more aware and more frustrated all at the same time. So, right. Right. I don't, I don't know about you, but I almost have this like feeling that I need to like justify why I'm doing this even post pandemic. Not oh, that yes. we're really post pandemic, but, and that I have experience pre pandemic. Cause I'll get on with like students or with principals or with families. Then I'll be like, we're, this is how we're doing it. Like you said, getting them to buy it. And then I also feel the need to be like, but I'm not just doing this because of COVID. Like I've mm-hmm. did this before COVID. I will do it after COVID. This is a valuable service at before and after COVID. Mm-hmm. How well. have you like navigated that? And, you know, do you also feel the need to kind of like justify why this is still important even after the pandemic? I feel like. Yes, in some circumstances, because I had a conversation with a school district, a friend in another school district, and she's like, I just can't bring even that subject to the board, like no teletherapy. I can't even justify it right now. I was like, that's interesting. And then I work for a school district that's rather large that just doesn't have enough people. So they have an influx of teletherapists to fill those roles. And I think I'm lucky enough where I work with... um homebound population and, and the teachers know the benefit of having a co-teaching treatment model in the home with the students and the teacher. So it's, if, if I'm not there, it's like, why, why isn't she there? You know, Mm -hmm. because it is so much more um, beneficial in that situation because medically fragile kids right now, they're not going anywhere. They need the instruction and the coaching with the teacher. So I find it less so with the less, I find less pushback with the less, more severe populations. Um, but the kids that are in, in school and mild, like the principals are like, do we need to do this again? Or why are we, why are we mm-hmm. online again? It's just like, everybody wants to throw it all out, but mm-hmm. we existed before. <laughs> right. Well, I think it, it it's come down to be a symbol of COVID. True. And I think, in in even though we're dealing with the Delta stuff and more people are sick now than at any time, but you know we're not really past COVID. You know, no. it's not twenty twenty one BC or AC. Right after COVID, before COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we're we're still in the middle of it, and uh, but I do think there are administrators who kind of see, oh, we have to go back to normal, and normal doesn't mean teletherapy mm-hmm. and right. being right. online because we had to do that for COVID. We don't have to do that once we're over this. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think you're raising some good points here. We need to really educate these administrators and say. 
COVID has nothing to do with it. Look at your staffing issues, looking, you know, look at the service delivery. How many kids can you serve in your district and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And even, even so I find it, there's a, we were hidden. I don't know if you felt that way. Mm-hmm. Like I was hidden among everybody that was virtual. And then when people started going back, they were like, you don't live here. No, actually I'm a teletherapist. And like, they had to learn it all over again. And it was interesting and cool to them, but they were like, Oh, well, dang, I thought you were going to come in, be in person. And mm-hmm. I just found that fascinating. Like we were hidden, but it's just, it's interesting as it evolves, what it, what it looks like with each iteration. Right. So, so I want to go back to, you mentioned that you are working with kids that are medically fragile and homebound, and you're doing some co-teaching with mm-hmm. um, their teachers. Tell us more about that and how that works. Yeah, sure. So um, this is the population I work with where they're not necessarily, um, well, it's a combination of both. These are kids that have, you know, congenital deficits that chromosomal abnormalities, all that developmental issues. Um, And there's also some kids that are coming in for a little bit because they have medical needs that can be addressed. And then they go back into the regular classroom because of the pandemic stuff. But the majority of my students are those who have, are younger, um, who have significant diagnoses that impact communication across a lifetime and they need those structured communication supports and working with the teacher to treat and work with communication across academics is so critical because communication is in everything with those children. So um, uh, the teacher typically goes in the home. I go on the computer. They set me up. We do a session together. There's manipulatives involved. Um, where I'm working on a goal, she's working on a similar goal, or we have the same goal and we're taking different data. And sometimes I present things either through, um, like an interactive Google meet, um, interactive Google slide where I make things spin if we're doing errorless learning and we're using eye gaze, like just recently, um, errorless learning tasks for the academic tasks and, increasing eye gaze for a student who had a lot of things just happen recently and he had kind of regressed. So just to have him be able to look briefly and to make something spin and have him engage for a little bit. Oh, we got that, you know, and then we move on and then we build up that array to two or three items because he had a eye gaze board, but we have to back off of that because he's not at that point anymore, but we'll get them back up to that. So, mm-hmm. and I find that most rewarding because you get to work with the parents and the teacher. Mm-hmm. So the parents are there and they're watching what you're doing and, and that can be lovely. And oh, I have a favorite teacher I work with. She's my most favorite teacher in the world. And mm-hmm. some are more challenging because they feel like you are a related service provider. You're, you're an OT, SLP, PT kind of thing. And you are siloed in that corner. And those are very difficult minds to change. So in those situations, you just go in and do the best you can with 
with whatever and make it happen for them until they can see that it is what it is and wonderful it is. Um, and then join in, get on the train. <laughs> so yeah. That's right. It, it's so interesting that they do kind of put us in that silo, but kids need to communicate all the time. <laughs> you know, that doesn't, it's not just like in one class that they communicate in it's, they mm-hmm. need to do it across everything. And yeah. So I love it when teachers do realize our value and bring us into their class rather than us getting mad at us for taking our kids out of their class. Mm -hmm. And I find it so much more rewarding working in teams like that because it is more clinical, that piece, right? You're, you're figuring out what's going on because of the etiology of the deficit and, and you're figuring out the communication piece with all that other stuff and you're, you're troubleshooting with the assistive technology team from afar and you're putting together things and supports that the parents can use. So it's very clinical to me, but the teachers are superb in how they navigate it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, that's really a unique model. I don't know if I've heard of another, other uh, telepractitioners, other SLPs, with the similar model where the teacher goes into the home, you join the teacher and you Mm co-treat that, you know, all about that interprofessional training and and practice that we're supposed to be doing. I think that's a great model. Yeah. And, and I had a teacher explain it to me and I was like, cause last year we had one student visual could not such a bad visual impairment, such a, uh, poor hearing capability, just the computer model was not going to be beneficial. And, you know, you have to make those calls, of course. But, um, and then I was thinking like, why, why wouldn't we have an in-person? Wouldn't that be better? And, and a teacher, and I was just thinking about it from an SLP standpoint, like, wouldn't it be better if I was going in and you were going in and, and I'm thinking about this. And she was like, Katie, if, if you did that, we'd need like 10 of you. And I was started thinking about that. And I'm like, that's valid because like the teachers only have five to six kids on their case. So, and I'm popping in with them co-treating. So it made utter sense to me as soon as she said it. And I had not made that connection and how valuable it is to have somebody that's on a team working like that. So Mm -hmm. for the precise reason people want to do teletherapy to reach multiple different people across (laughs) different regions, Right, right. Well, and what you're doing there is is just showing another way that the co-treating and interprofessional practice can come together using technology to mm-hmm. benefit the child and the family. So Absolutely. You know, it's it's really great that you guys have worked out that model. That's really cool. Yeah, it was very challenging at first because I was like, how am I going to do this? And then once, because right. I was like, are you, are you kidding? Like, I've worked in self-contained. I don't know that mm-hmm. this is possible. And then once I did it, I'm like, this is fine. We're fine. We can mm-hmm. do this. Like mm-hmm. I said, there are some, we can't do it. And you work, you work, and you figure that out. But mm-hmm. I mean, we make it work because that's what the student needs. And that's why we're there. So Exactly. So do you find any extra layer of challenge with working with assistive technology over telepractice? 
Only when trying to explain the need for assistive technology to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, That is my biggest hiccup because I know what can be available and I know what can happen when those supports are at the ready. Um, Oftentimes when you work with districts, they have district teams that we only have this, we only have this. Um, We have to have a five-hour meeting to discuss why we need this one single button or please give us your rationale behind needing um, a picture support system or anything. And I, you know, I fully believe in the framework, the set framework. Um, I think it's misunderstood and used as a requirement prior to initiating anything versus a team decision-making tool. Um, And I don't think people understand that it's not, that the challenge for me is getting people to understand that when you put any kind of support in front of a student, it's not, it's not just a plug and play. It's not an iPad that you open something Mm -hmm. up and, oh, you're going to tell me everything you know in your brain right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is systematic. It is language learning and, and systematic learning of, and I basically think about it like an L, like an L2 language, a second language, right? Mm -hmm. You're Mm -hmm. mapping what you know Mm-hmm. onto a second system. So there is that disconnect and there is, well, why can't they just hit a button and say no? Or why can't we just take that sticker off and mm-hmm. put it on this button and it means something else? And then you have to describe languages again. Right. Well, why I, it's a silly story, but I gave, I have a little binder that I set up for an eye gaze board for a, a teacher. And I, I'll show you. And I got, I stole the idea. I totally stole the idea, but you can put it in a binder and then you can so build it. Just so kind of describe, can, describe it for, yeah. our, for our listeners. So it's a cardstock and mm-hmm. it's got a little window cut out in the middle and it's yellow mm-hmm. cardstock with a window cut out in the middle so you can see through it. And I've got three pieces of the fuzzy side Velcro, two pieces up and down, three pieces on the other side, um, front and back. And what that is, is for icons. Mm-hmm. that you can, the sticky side can stick on to and you can build it up as you go, right? So mm-hmm. if you start with two, you can do one, two. Mm-hmm. If you start, if you want to go four and then do mm-hmm. a color and have to, like a color array, it's it's an eye gaze board that you can change in and out. And then I put it in a sleeve protector so that mm-hmm. you can have fringe and core ready and put it in a binder book right? so that it's low tech and... And it's also, I've got my core words, I've got my fringe activity ready to go, and I can interchange it whenever I need to. And I've got all of that template in a binder. So I tried to share that with a teacher. (laughs) The teacher was virtual and didn't understand that this had to go into the home and that the parent was supposed to facilitate Mm -hmm. and that we would be the ones coaching because the teacher just put it on the screen like this and <laughs> just that challenge mm-hmm. just to understand what it is first. Oh, I get that. That's cool. And then this is why. 
because this is what we're doing. We're looking through this window to see eye gaze and they're looking here and I need to see it here through here. And I need to see what they're looking at. I love that. I've seen like big PVC pipe ones, but Mm -hmm. that is so like, everyone has those materials. (laughs) If you have a sheet protector and Velcro and a piece of cardstock, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, and like I said, totally stole it from a really smart person. And they did these for like lessons. They would just have those fringe words for those lessons and then a core board for afterward. And I mean, even for the kids with significant needs that need those concrete objects, you can just Velcro the concrete objects right on there. So yeah. Yeah, so it, it was mobile and I thought it'd be good for the homebound teachers. Um, didn't work out that way. We're going to try it a different route this year, the different teacher. <laughs> Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. keep trying it. I find it so fascinating, though, how eye gaze is the biggest concept and the hardest concept for people to wrap their brains around. And I, right, I feel like they almost like don't see that as communication. That it's movement, it's not communication, but it can be. It can be really powerful communication. Uh, this is somewhat of a tangent, but if you read the book Out of My Mind. Out of my mind, no, but I've heard the story of Oscar Pistorius, um, where he was he would had locked in syndrome. Right. Yeah. I don't know so that's it's it's, it's, it a, that it's a book. Yeah, it's a fictional book, but oh. it's um but it's written from the perspective of I'm actually reading it with my ten year old and I think it's so exciting to me that she's interested in it. But um it's just the concept of this little girl is writing this book and describing what it was like her whole life to have cerebral palsy, be mm-hmm. so smart, know everything and not have a way to tell anyone. And mm-hmm. I just feel like if anyone's questioning why we need a communication system or, you know, amen, thinking mm-hmm. that kids don't know something that read this book, even though it's a piece of fiction, yes. What's it, it really is how it is for those kids out of my mind. Out of my mind. Well, I'm going to check that out because you have to read Ghost Boy Mm. because that talks about this young man's challenge to get out and it and and also Diving Bell on the Butterfly. Mm -hmm. Good, good ones. I mean, my God, those are what I mean, Mm -hmm. that those are why that's what we do. That's why we do what we do. Right, right. I know. I read right. it with my daughter and I like start crying and she's like, mom, what's wrong with you? I'm like, this is why I do what I do. <laughs> Get a grip, mom. <laughs> Keep it together, lady. Uh, that's right. So Katie, you mentioned the eye gaze board. and uh, Are there other materials or, or uh, websites or go-to kinds of things that you could recommend? Sure. Um, like I said, the district I work for loves Google. So I, I love that. I'm not a fan and, you know, shout out to Google. They did, they do great things. Um, mm-hmm. functionality wise, it's sometimes hard for me. Um, not as streamlined, but whatever, I digress. But, um, Google meet, um, mm-hmm. if you, uh, to make it more functional, um, interactive wise, I like to use Zoom, but they you can download Chrome Remote Desktop, and there's that interactive function piece for Google Meet. Um, I feel like um, if students have Touch Chat or anything within the ULS Unique Learning Systems curriculum, 
They have great resources as far as weekly uploads to the vocabulary for kids who use TouchChat or NovaChat. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I, I'm completely blanking on the name. Um, is it? It's not. Is it PRC? PRC. Yes. Mm-hmm. PRC also has um, an app for assistive technology, and those are great resources. I often find that I just make my own because it's easier. Um, If you have a book and you can like put something on a whiteboard or just do pieces on the book to adapt it, you know, cut and paste, put images and then have the kids follow along. I mean, that's an adapted book. Um, Answering questions, two item force choice Mm -hmm. task and a foil and there's a response and then you build up that array and virtually that's what I do on, with a lot of my kids. So I find that uh, Jamboard, Google Jamboards or the whiteboard mm-hmm. on um, Zoom. One thing I do like about Google Jamboards is you can search within it and just throw any picture you want in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing with it the other day and I realized there's a feature too where you can start to draw something and then select an image that's close to what you were drawing. Right. So you can like start to draw a car and then other cars will pop up so you can select a car. That was a cool feature I found. I love that. And also you can't make noise on a jam board. So if you wanted to add any kind of noise or animation, Mm -hmm. you can do it in a Google slide. And I love that. So adapt a book that way, right? Like mm-hmm. use the book, bring it up half screen and make make sure the kids are following along. And then, oh, every time you can make a noise when they touch it, I, mm-hmm. I think it's great. So it sounds like you use it like a mix of kind of low tech. I'm holding things up in front of the screen and more of the um, things that are built into browsers and things too. I tend not to be the clinician that likes to hold things up to the screen. Okay. If I'm if I want a student to have manipulatives, um, I want the teacher to have those, and then right. I will do the digital version. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Because like just because like me holding chapstick is <laughs> is different. I could put right. it on there and I can make it spin and I can add noise to it and then the teacher has chapstick and they can actually hold it and touch. And, and do those things. So I try to be the techie, like the two-dimensional piece mm-hmm. um, to their three-dimensional Yeah, to increase that generalization of that skill. I like that. I like that. And that, that takes a lot of coaching and communication with the parent or the teacher. But I like mm-hmm. that piece of the, then it's more concrete to them if they have that, the right. real thing in front of them. Totally. And I, I've even like said to a mom in the middle of the session, we're going to bring out his favorite songs. Can you grab a bear, a monkey and a train, a bear, a monkey and a train. She gets him, mm-hmm. and we just do that. And he's got his favorite things and we're going to pick. So I, I love it. I love being able to integrate that technology piece with the concrete mm-hmm. because and I don't love being on, I, I do want to, this caveat, I don't like kids being on screen all the time. That is why I love having that partnered activity, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a balance to it. So I love that piece. Awesome. Well, those are great recommendations and great, great strategies. 
Well, Katie, we've come to the most important aspect of our time together. Do you know what that is? No. No. It is our what we call our moment of Zen. I love it already. <clears throat> what we have is a series of, of 10 questions. Um, and we'll just ask them and you can a- answer them any way you want. And your your answers can be one word or you can go into more explanation if you want. Okay. Totally up to you. Okay. Moment of Zen. Okay. Our moment of Zen. So uh, what's the most used app on your phone? Oh, gosh. Right now it's Google Calendar. However, I use the Calm app. Okay. Cool. Um, Got to stay calm. Um, what was the last TV series you streamed? Like binge streamed or okay, the White Lotus oh. on how HBO. Did, how, how did you like it? So weird. It was, was a very fun. weird show. I still weird. don't know about it. I'm still thinking like, I don't know about it. Um, yeah. now we started watching, um, only murders in the murders in the building. Right. I love that we, one. We watched the first hysterical. episode. Yeah. yeah, I love it already. I already love Martin Short and Steve Martin, but Selena Gomez. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredibly funny. So it is funny. I I saw them. They came through uh, Ohio. I think we see them in Cleveland. I think it was, but they did, they did their um, two man show. Essentially. Oh yes, uh, it was really funny. Really good. Um, what's a favorite book? Uh, the Alchemist. Ooh. I read it a thousand. Very good. I, it feels like a thousand times, but I get a new meaning every time. You just n- never know what the universe has planned for you. Never. Right? You always go back to the beginning. Right. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Dead or alive. Um. Gosh, this is a weighty one. I like to have dinner with my great grandmother on my mother's side. I never cool. knew her, mm-hmm. but she ray like she was born in 1895, 1800, late 1800s, and she her husband passed away. So she raised a single, she was a single mom raising a daughter in that time and mm-hmm. worked as a linotype operator for the Detroit Free Press. And oh wow. She was incredible and she was in, incredibly kind from what I hear. And I'd like mm-hmm. to, I'd like to meet her. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Here's another waiting one for you. Oh, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? You have to wait 10 seconds and restate what you just heard prior to responding i like that too, too many people just responding without listening right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been bali indonesia Ooh. very nice good one. i have one to add todd i'm Uh-oh. gonna throw one Go. in Go she ahead. said she was in the theater so i want to ask this what is your 
favorite um, play you've ever been in and the favorite play you've ever seen? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> this is hard. My favorite play I've ever seen uh, was The Cherry Orchard by Chekhov. And it was done in Chicago um, at Steppenwolf. And it was incredible. Um, the, my favorite play I've ever been in. I don't know. Um, I wrote my own for a graduate pro for a, for a graduate project. So nice. that by default is my favorite. We had to write <laughs> a one person show. Very nice. Awesome. Yeah. My favorite I just, musical. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, Les that's Mis. cool. Like, Les Mis. I've, I've seen Les Mis like 12 times. <laughs> Half of it, most of them being high school productions, but I have seen it on Broadway too. So I love it. Do you know what the single most poignant line in that whole thing for me is? Um, to love one another is to see the face of God. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is the meaning of life right there. So mm-hmm. love it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. Let's see. What's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary any way you want. Okay. The scariest thing I've ever done. Well, like terrifying. I don't know. You can define it. It could be challenging. It could be like, terror or it could be just exciting maybe I don't know. gosh i guess the scariest thing i've ever done was go back to graduate school as a set <laughs> and get a second career and then mm-hmm. keep running toward cannons i mean <laughs> that would be my my scary most terrifying thing i've ever done is well, um i don't know if i have to get that but uh, well, well our, our number one answer is having children I do not have children. So, yeah. I have dogs. So, I don't have that that experience, you, you but I'm sure it's terrifying. <laughs> you haven't experienced that terror yet. Um, what is a pet peeve? People not listening, right? <laughs> yes. And people not responding to an email in a timely mm. manner. Ooh. That's, it that's doesn't, it, I get it. You only refer back to your email. Just say, thank you for your email. I'll get back to this. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. respond. Like we live in a, we're always in a deluge of information. I get it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's important. Just acknowledge another person has, has made a communication attempt with you. I, that's it. That's a pet peeve. Sure, and people that one. stop on a sidewalk. And don't realize that there are other people behind them. Mm-hmm. And they just stop. You're like, and don't, or they're walking and they're on their phone. And they don't, and completely unaware that there's a world happening beyond I, the phone. I, I would have to really agree with you on that one. Because that is something that really <laughs> bothers me. Especially when people get off an elevator and just stand there. Oh, because they don't know where to go, and you have you have to stop and wait for them to move out of the way. You know, go by them. 
or they go through a door and just kind of stand there on the other side. Yes. And yet you're trying to get through. It just drives me nuts. I got, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And so you're someone who's had another career or had, you know, that you were going an, in an one direction and yeah, <laughs> and you changed. So with this question, if you could choose, if you didn't choose your current profession, what would you like to try? Be a writer. Be a writer. Nice. Very good. Awesome. And our, our last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Good. Awesome. I have, I, I'll let you know everything right now. <laughs> I know. I want to know it. where my wallet disappeared to in this in the eighth grade or in the ninth grade. I want to know all of those things. All of the things I could never find. Where did they go? I would like to know that when I get to the other side. I would just like him to explain the past five years to me. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did that have to happen? All of this. Mm-hmm. Could you just give me a like the grand scheme of everything that has occurred in context with what else has occurred before it? I just please, but I like that. Well, Katie, we are glad that you joined us here on the podcast and we wish you nothing but continued success with everything that you're doing. Thank you for having me. I am really grateful that you asked me to be on and it was so great talking to you to you and to Kim, and this has been wonderful. We really appreciate Katie joining us and sharing a great model of working with teachers or other early interventionists going into the homes while she is available through telepractice. And so that is a really great combination and a very unique model. So I'm really thrilled to have learned about that. And we're really thrilled that you've joined us on the podcast. Please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always makes us attract new listeners and new subscribers and to increase our listenership, uh, as they say. So with that, we will see you again next week with another episode. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 